from American Falls to Milad, we've got the biggest stories in District 5 covered. This is the Southeast Idaho PrepCast with Jordan K. That's right. It's another edition of the Southeast Idaho PrepCast on IdahoSports.com, breaking down everything going on in District 5 in Idaho Athletics. I'm Brandon Bainey, joined by Jordan K. from the Idaho State Journal in Pocatello. Jordan, what's going on? You can see the finish line, Brandon. It's almost the end of the fall season, two weeks away. So it's kind of, it's been nice. You know, you can start uh, kind of getting to those last couple teams and then, you know, have a couple week break and then basketball, wrestling, all that stuff starts up. So it's been fun. How are you? Yeah. So we're kind of in that weird part of the season where there's a little bit of overlap, right? Between football and like girls basketball. So everybody I talked to is like, well, you gotta, you gotta like it. Things are finally slowing down, right? We're to the semifinals of football. It's like, yeah, but not really. Cause we're, we're like doing girls basketball previews and uh-huh. schedules. And so it hasn't really slowed down at all. It's been kind of crazy. No, I totally feel you. Yeah. You've been in a basketball mind though, the last uh, week or so, cause you've been doing some I- Idaho state university basketball coverage, right? Yeah, no, they had their first game last night. Uh, got an easy win over, Eastern Oregon. The women's team played at uh, Oregon and Eugene. Uh, not didn't exactly go how they wanted, but you know when every girl for the Ducks is you know four inches taller than everyone on ISU, it doesn't make it very easy. But I think they got twenty five grand for that game, so you know at least there's that. They'll take it. And Oregon, I think, is a top ten team, right? Top, yeah, women. number ten. Yeah, they looked they looked really good. <laughs> Yeah, women's hoops. And, and ISU will be just fine in women's hoops. I think sure. they're still the favorite. Yeah, they'll, they'll be the favorite for the big sky for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, we did have another championship event last week uh, at the high school level over in Boise. It was state swimming. And in terms of District 5, you know, not a ton of noise was made. There's basically two uh, levels of competition, right? There's Class 5A mm-hmm. and then there's Class 4A, which is like everybody else i mean if all the way down if you're like a 1a school you're competing at the 4a level sorry exactly yeah and so you know we had there was a a decent amount of of swimmers from locally who who went you know i think there were three or four from pocatello a half dozen from highland and you know maybe like eight or nine from century it was a pretty good group yeah one uh state title to talk about in swimming Came on the boys' side in the 4A competition. The Century uh, 200-yard freestyle relay medley team uh, of Riley Middledorf, John Kaiser, Spencer Willie, and James Heberline, they won the 200-yard freestyle relay with a time of 1 minute, 33.10 seconds. That, by the way, Jordan, is a new state record as well. So congratulations. I knew they went into state. I think they were ranked number one in that event, but... You know, setting a new state record is uh, holy cow. That's crazy. I think I, I've been talking to some of our other um, personalities on the other podcasts across mm-hmm. IdahoSports.com. And by the way, if you want to see all the podcasts we offer, you can go to the homepage, IdahoSports.com. Across the top of the navigation bar, you'll see prep casts and a drop down menu with all of the podcasts that we do each week. Um, but as I was talking to some other people, it, I, I really do think that having an in-person competition this year really fueled a lot of people to perform uh, maybe better than they would have last year at the virtual meet. You've actually got somebody in the next lane pushing you, and there was a ton of state records that were set across the board. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're swimming in an empty pool, I mean, what do you – you don't really have any gauge of, like, if you're winning, if you're losing, if you're not. You've got no – you know, not as much adrenaline pumping through you to go. If you can kind of feel someone right, you know, on the side of you, you're going to start, you know, 
being better. And so, yeah, I think there were so many people that were disappointed, frustrated with how the state meet was conducted last season, doing it virtually, having to send times in, kind of being in an empty pool. And you're seeing now it's like, hey, you know, when you put people next to each other, when there's competition, there's going to be faster times. No, uh, really cool to see that they actually got that opportunity after it being taken from them last year. So state swimming is in the books, which means only state football remains uh, in the fall sports scene. Before we dive into football, we want to let you know that the Southeast Idaho prep cast on IdahoSports.com is brought to you by Pure Adrenaline Motorsports, your source for pulse pounding adrenaline sports apparel and accessories that ensure you have what you need to unleash your inner beast. So uh, state football, I think the big story is there's a lot of teams from East Idaho that are still competing, Jordan, here at the Final Four. It's crazy. You know, last week you're, you're keeping track of the scores and, you know, it felt like at almost every level I was putting in someone from District 5 and you're like, well, there's not that many teams. I mean, there's, you know, four left in each classification. And, you know, 5A they got one, 4A they got two, 2A they got two. It's, you know, this is a, a pretty impressive year for, for East Idaho. Um, you know, I think a lot of times these state competitions can be um, a little dominated by Boise schools at times. And, you know, this year – at least on the, the biggest scale of football, it's it's kind of cool that East Idaho is showing, you know, how much talent they have over here. Yeah. So let's I mean, let's start with 5A. That's where the biggest story of the yeah. uh, of the week was, I, I think, statewide. And again, if you're following along uh, on the video version of this prep cast on uh, the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel or the Facebook page, uh, you'll be able to see the bracket as we put it up on the screen. For those that are listening, audio only at IdahoSports.com or wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, that's fine, too. You can follow along. We have all the brackets on the homepage at IdahoSports.com. But here's that 5A bracket. And the big story was Highland going to Rocky Mountain, knocking off the Grizzlies 22 to 21. That was a game I called last week, Jordan, and I've been calling it for a while. I said, if I if Highland has to go play Rocky, I like the Rams in a rematch. That didn't surprise me. What did surprise me was the way that they won. It was just nuts. And this is me following from afar. I mean, me and you were both in the Holt Arena press box kind of keeping up on Twitter just like, holy cow. There's no way. So they were down 18 points in the second half. Um, mind you, this is a pretty tough place to go win. Um, Highland hasn't exactly had the best success at Rocky Mountain. Also, the conditions were just brutal. I mean, just incredible amount of wind, not the um, most favorable kind of temperature weather for Highland's offense that is really predicated on, you know, big plays through the passing attack with Jack Whitmer. And so it didn't seem like this was – going to be Highland's year. It seemed like, all right, Rocky's going to roll. They got out to an early lead, you know, tough year for Highland, all this. And then the Rams just started really just going back. They really got their run game going with Jack Whitmer, um, started handing the ball off to Eli Parrish, and he was doing some work. And then, I mean, Gino Mariotti over at Highland just has, I mean, just nerves of steel to be able to put your kicker in these positions and know that he's going to, you know, succeed. So Ian Hershey, who we've talked about on here, is, you know, the best kicker, best punter in the entire state. He hits a 50-yarder to open the game. You know, pretty impressive. He's hit 50-yarders before. Great. Um, Then in the fourth quarter, when, you know, they really, they need to get the game into a one-score game, he hits a 58-yarder. I know the wind was blowing. I know, yeah, that's great. He had a 58-yarder in high school that looked like it was going to be good from 65. And, you know, not even the fact that he made it. The fact that, like, 
Gino and the Highland coaching staff had the confidence to be like, 58 yards, yeah, go run out there, you know, only in the fourth quarter of, uh, you know, an elimination playoff game. Crazy. Hits that, and then a couple minutes later, nails a 45-yarder to give Highland the lead and the win with under three minutes left. Just, you know, a lot of people I've heard from who were there said it was, you know, one of the best high school football games they'd ever witnessed and one of the coolest comebacks they'd ever seen. Um, This is kind of one of those things where, you know, people talk about sometimes, you know, the mystique and the dynasty of Highland. You know, these are the games that kind of show you why. These are games that not many other schools could have won. Not many other coaches would have had, you know, the confidence and, you know, the wherewithal to kind of overcome some adversity and be like, yeah, you know, we're still good. We're still going to win this. So I thought it was just um, unreal. Yeah. So I think you cleaned it up for the podcast, the nerves of steel for Gino Mariani. Yeah. I think we used a different term in the press box. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, to the people that are trying to discredit Ian Hershey's 58 yard field goal. And, and I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it on social media and people coming. Well, it was wind assisted, knock it off. Seriously knock it off. He hit a 58-yard field goal. It doesn't matter if it was wind-aided or not. It's a new state record. That will never be broken. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, it's a new state record? Yes. Really? Okay, and this is the other thing. You know, if you want to say that it was a wind-aided 58-yard, that's fine. But I've seen him in the dome hit like three straight 60-yarders when there's no wind, no nothing. Like, you know, you can, you know, give whatever crap you want to the wind, but, you know, I've seen him hit 60 yarders with no wind. Like if he hit a 58 yarder and the wind was blowing a little into him, I'd be like, Oh, he must've just hit it hard. I, that is not surprising. He has the leg. And the only thing now is like what college is going to be smart enough to, you know, offer him and, and be able to take his services. The fact that, you know, no PAC 12 school has offered him yet is absolutely mind blowing to me. I know he's taken off or, you know, unofficial visits to Oregon state and to Cal but man, if I'm a Pac-12 school right now, I am, you know, throwing my hat in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, for those people that are trying to, I don't know, prove a point by saying, "Well, it was wind assisted." Also, it was it legitimately looked like it was good from 65 with the way it was not like it just you know peeked over the crossbar. Like, yeah, it, it went into the parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's phenomenal. He he has been by far the best kicker, yeah. uh, maybe maybe the best kicker Idaho's ever seen. I, I don't know the Idaho kicking history well enough. Yeah. You know, I would love to. Before fifty eight, so I think the official record was forty nine, which has been broken, no. tied or broken this year. Uh, no, because Highland had a record of fifty three. Okay, well, someone at Highland had hit fifty three in the early two thousands. So, so it must be, maybe it's where I'm from in Montana, uh, state records only count as if it gets reported by the school. I don't know if that's how it is for Idaho, gotcha. but I do. I'm pretty confident that 50, nobody's ever kicked a 58 yard field goal in Idaho. I would, I'm pretty sure. I would be surprised. I've never heard of anyone even, you know, really attempting it. Right. The fact <laughs> that it was even attempted. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Also lost in this comeback for Highland, uh, obviously the kicking of Ian Hershey, but the defense uh, made some stops when, when they needed to uh, Colton George forced a key fumble that got Highland the ball back. And then, you know, everybody thinks that Hershey made the field goal as time expired. No, there was still like, you know, a couple minutes on the Three clock. That Hi- yeah. The Highland defense had to dig in one more time and, and stop Rocky's last gasp. Yeah. And, and that part's almost become expected at this point, which is, 
you know, maybe not how it should be, but the Highland defense and the Highland front has been so good all season long, not only getting pressure on the quarterback, but coming up with key turnovers when it counts. I think in that first matchup against Rocky um, in week zero, they forced like four fumbles. Um, that's just something that they pride themselves on. And even Colton George, who's a sophomore, um, you know, has a physicality and strength to be able to, you know, kind of make plays like that. Yeah. So Highland advances to the semifinals where they will have to travel to the Treasure Valley yet again. If we look at the bracket, they will travel to take on Eagle because Eagle knocked off Coeur d'Alene 23 to 14. Now, I'm sure you've gotten the same questions I have, Jordan. Why does Highland have to travel? They are a higher seed than Eagle. You know, Eagle took third place in their in their district. Highland took second. Um, you know, Ian Hershey's grandpa sent me an email asking about it. And what I will tell everybody is that's just the way it's, it always is in five, a, they kind of predetermine the bracket. All of the athletic directors agree on it and it's whatever team is on the top part of that bracket gets the host. So I was, yeah, I was kind of doing, digging into it a little bit too. And what I found out is that basically it rotates every year. Like, you know, your East, West, North. You kind of just flip. So you go up, up, up. And what happens is, you know, there's so many more Boise schools that oftentimes the Boise schools are going to be on top just because of the numbers. You know, it, it's only going to happen a couple times where uh, a team from the north or a team from the east gets on top. Last year, Rigby um, was that top seed. So they um, got to host all the way through to the championship. And what happens is like the Boise 5A athletic directors, I mean, why would they want to change that? You just keep getting all these games in Boise. So there's no real reason for them to, you know, vote against that. I actually think they have a vote tomorrow um, to discuss this, uh, you know, going forward. And uh, for all the five athletic directors, I mean, there's no reason they would want to change it because the way they have it set up now is the Boise athletic directors can just outvote, you know, everyone else from, <laughs> from 5A because, you know, if they're playing the law of averages and the numbers, you would want – in how it's set up because it favors, you know, Boise because they have more five, a schools. And so that's why it's set up. It's, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's super dumb. Logistically, it makes no sense, but you know, it's one of those things that it's just probably not going to change unless, you know, the IHSAA comes down and, you know, says it has to, so yeah. it sucks, but you know, there's not really uh, much solution. Yeah, right. And, and I, I think I'm more upset if I'm Rigby, a district champion. Oh, hundred percent. And right. yeah, the fact that you've got to go play a Meridian school who was what, like sixth in the bracket or something like that. Like if you wanted to rank these schools one through eight at the beginning or one through 10. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would not be happy if I'm Rigby. Um, then the other thing is, so if, well, you know, we can um, project a little bit, let's say Highland does win. If they play Rigby, the game will either be at Holt Arena or at Madison. That's kind of the, one of the things that the athletic directors and the schools have to work out. Um, if Highland ends up playing Meridian, that game would be at Boise at a location, you know, kind of to be determined. But um, some people were thinking that it could be at Rocky Mountain. So those are kind of the scenarios of, of what it is. If you know, you're a Highland fan and you want to go see them in the state title game, um, you're probably hoping it's Rigby just so you can, you know, don't have to drive as far, but, um, I don't think Rigby probably doesn't want to play in Holt Arena and, uh, Highland probably doesn't want to go play at Madison. So I don't know how that one will get decided. I think, I don't think Rigby minds playing in Holt Arena because, uh, sure. they, oh, they, that's, yeah. they played, they played there in the regular season. They played a game against skyline, I think to get their guys used to it. 
um, knowing Gosh, that there was a- interesting. Yeah, right. no, I, I figure, you know, and championship games take away the elements. Like, you know, you want the two teams going against each other, not the two teams having to play against, you know, the wind or whatever. Yeah, Rigby, Rigby played outside at Madison last year in the championship to Rocky Mountain, and Tiger Adolfo had a tough time holding onto the football, so I'm sure they won. Uh, it was cold. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he had a couple fumbles, a couple interceptions, and so um, I'm sure Rigby would ra- gladly take it indoors. <laughs> so, so, yeah, let's talk about this Highland matchup. They have to go play Eagle. You know, mm-hmm. Eagle is kind of very very quietly uh, put together a 9-2 and record. Yes. This is an Eagle team that's missing their best player, Ethan Makita, slot back on the very first play of the season. He scores a 49-yard touchdown on the second offensive play of the season. He blows out his knee, and he's done for the year. So this is an Eagle team that's had to kind of adapt, um, but this is a Highland team that has also had to adapt and overcome adversity at times. A hundred percent. Yeah, Eagle is so odd kind of going through the rankings and looking at them each week because their resume was really good. I mean, I think the two teams they lost to, wasn't it like Mountain View and Rocky Mountain? Right. So, I mean, those are top two of the top two, three, three, two of the top three teams almost all season long. And those were the only two teams Eagle lost to. Um, you look at it like that, you could also look at Highland and be like, their only two losses were to Rocky Mountain and to Rigby. So there's that. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, Eagles really adjusted well and, you know, coming. Um, getting to play this game on your home field always helps. And it's going to be interesting to see how Highland responds after such an emotional um, kind of crazy game. You know, it's sometimes it can be tough to turn your focus back to, you know, game planning and kind of reworking for Eagle. But, you know, Gino's been this, done this before. Highland's done this before. I don't expect there to be any drop off. Um, they do have a defense. Defense travels regardless of where you're going to be. And I think the offense kind of understands now, um, maybe how to better play in the elements. Uh, they didn't really have to do that much this year. Yeah. And for Highland, this will be uh, the, you know, if this were a quarterfinal matchup, I'd be worried about them having to travel, but they, they just did this last week. So the yeah. travel, you can throw that out. I don't think that's going to be a factor. I think Highland's defensive line is better than Eagles offensive line. I think the key is going to be in the secondary capital has, or excuse me, uh, Eagle has some, some, really good receivers, especially Ian Duarte on the outside. He torched Coeur d'Alene, eight catches, 168 yards, and a touchdown last week. I assume Adam Jones is going to be the guy that mostly is going to see Duarte, and I think that's going to be a matchup to watch. Definitely. Yeah, so offensively, I think Highland continuing to just take care of the ball, do what they do, take what the defense gives you, right? Highland's really good at that. They're not going to try and force – a round peg into a square hole. They're going to look at what the defense is doing. And if they're giving us, you know, running lanes, we'll hand off to Eli Parrish. We'll do some QB sweeps and things like that. Um, If they're giving us opportunities in the passing game, we can hit them that way too. So a hundred percent. Yeah. And any and Hershey, I think is the, uh, the X factor Highland Highland special teams are so much better than anybody else that's left in the field, even Rigby and uh, Meridian up top. I mean, that's a huge advantage. That's the thing is sometimes it's, it's weird in our position, you know, you, you see these great kickers and you hype them up all the time. And it's a lot of times they don't have a ton of impact on these games, especially in Idaho high school football, where, you know, teams are going for too often. It doesn't really matter. You get down to these playoff games and you start getting, you know, it's tougher to, you know, convert in the red zone. It's tougher to get first downs when you're inside the 40. And having just a weapon like Hershey is, I mean, proved itself last week how invaluable that can be. And so, yeah, if you're Highland, you've got to know that, like, 
you get inside the 30 and you've got three points. And that's not a luxury that many teams in the state have. I mean, just by kicking off as well, every time, you know, it's a touchback when, when, when the offense has to start from their own 20, every single drive that can be hard to overcome as well. So, uh, officially I will say Highland and Meridian. I think Meridian Meridian is hot right now. They are on fire. I like them to knock off Rigby. I like Highland to go beat Eagle, which I guess would set up Highland against Meridian next week at, I don't know, Donna Larson park or, uh, Rocky mountain, maybe somewhere in in the Boise Valley though. Yeah. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Highland Rigby just for the, uh, I think the revenge tour of Highland, you know, you get Rocky mountain and you get Rigby. I think that's the only way state should be decided this year. Uh, Meridian has been kind of cruising. It's been very odd because they had uh, a little bit of a lackluster regular season. They came into the state tournament with absolutely zero expectations. And then you, upset Mountain View that no one really saw coming. And yeah, they've been on fire, but man, I, I just think Tiger Rodolfo is too good. They've been here before. And man, I think that storyline Rigby Highland state title game is, is too juicy. So that's what I'm, I, uh, I'm expecting. Yeah. Storytellers. We want Highland Rigby for sure. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. <laughs> that one's too good. That would be fantastic. Uh, okay. For a, this is the matchup I think everybody in East Idaho has been waiting for for a long time. In the semifinals, you've got Skyline and Pocatello Friday or uh, Saturday night inside Holt Arena. Let's start with the Thunder. You know, they had to come back. Bishop Kelly jumped out to a 14-0 lead in the first half in the quarterfinals last Friday. Pocatello stayed calm, made, I mean, totally just blitzed past Bishop Kelly in the second half and ended up winning 28-17. to This was such an odd game because – um, BK gets out to that 14 nothing lead and you're just looking around like, man, maybe BK is really good. Maybe, you know, everyone always likes to say that the Boise teams aren't as good as, you know, people expect, but maybe they are, you know, BK did win by 33 points last year. And then it's just like, Oh wait, this is kind of a new Pocatello team. And they just stuck to stuck with it. I mean, really didn't even flinch. All of a sudden, they got their deep passing game going. Ryan Payne started really connecting with his receivers, who were better than you know pretty much every corner in 4A. And so he hits Matt Christensen on a touchdown um, in the corner of the end zone, basically a jump ball. If you put you know next drive, he hits Julian Bowie down the sideline for like a 40-yard touchdown. Bowie just got a step past his receiver and basically reeled in the the touchdown with his fingertips. And all of a sudden, it was tied, and it just felt like Pokey had all the momentum give a ton of credit to their defense. I mean, their front seven was fantastic. Hunter Killian, sometimes he doesn't rack up the stats that, you know, a lot of people, you know, look for, but you just watch him on every play. And he is, I mean, just manhandling some of these offensive linemen. He is making it so that opposing defenses had to double team him, which all of a sudden gives guys um, like Luke Smith or like Caden Hoddle free lanes. And they're being able to get to, you know, quarterbacks and have rushing lanes things like that. I mean, that defensive line has been so good and make it so hard for offenses to really get anything going. You know, that first couple, first quarter, um, is it Seth not for yeah. UK? Dude looked unreal. I mean, he, what is he? Six, six, one, 210 pounds, something like that. I mean, the guy was running like he was, you know, should be going to college somewhere. And all of a sudden it seemed like Pocatello was like, all right, you know, this is our challenge and just went after him. I don't think, I think he had 50 yards on the first drive and then finished the game with like a hundred. I mean, it was a, you know, just a fantastic performance 
Um, and you really got to think right now that they're the state title favorites. Yeah, so uh, not on that opening drive busted like two big plays to the outside, right? Like a 25-yarder and then like a another 20-yarder. And after that, Pocatello like made the adjustment and they said, okay, we're, we're not going to get beat like that anymore. We're going to make you beat us from the inside. And you're right. All the defensive players you mentioned did awesome. Two more that I'll add that I really noticed that seemed to be in on the action a lot. Jackson Williams, yes, linebacker, and Kane and Wortley up front as well sure. on the defensive well, line. We also missed out on uh, Crew Hales, who had two interceptions in the second half and one in the end zone, which um, if it was caught, would have been a, uh, you know, given BK the lead late. So, yeah, they had three total turnovers, all interceptions in the second half. Yeah, that's 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 two weeks in a row where I think Pocatello's defense has really carried it to a win, which is, yeah. you know, in the regular season, we talked about the offense, 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 and now it's the defense that's also playing well. I yeah. agree. Pocatello is a very dangerous team right now, and they did to BK what Century did to BK last year, right? Where yeah. if you can shut down that run and make them throw, Bishop Kelly is not very good, and they, that's basically what Pocatello did in that second half. Which is crazy because you go out on the field before warmups and you just look at one sideline, you look at the other. I mean, BK's team is, you know, just stacked full of big dudes. And it just seems like they're going to have their way. You know, they're going to be able to get push up front and have an incredible rushing attack and get pressure on the quarterback. And Pocatello kind of just was like, you know, we can withstand all of that and then push you back even further. Uh, really cool to see. And I think, yeah it kind of shows, you know, how far they've come and how much bigger they've gotten as a program. Yep. So they will play skyline in the semifinal. So I, I was on the call for the Pocatello game Friday night. I was on the call for the skyline game Saturday night against Valley view. And for the second week in a row, skyline kind of slept walk through the first half. You know, I, I don't know what is going on with them, but uh, against Lakeland, they started slow against Valley view. They started slow. If they start slow against Pocatello, Pocatello is going to run them out of the building. It's it's yeah. going to get ugly. I think. Yeah. No, it's uh it's kind of so odd because I remember you know looking at the beginning of the year and doing previews and stuff, and it seemed like everyone you talked to was almost penciling Skyline into the state title. They're like, well, yeah, I don't I don't really know who's going to compete with them. Maybe BK, maybe someone from you know out west in Boise, and they just kind of you know fell on their faces a little bit those first couple of weeks. They got back some rhythm late in the year, got into the playoffs. But yeah, like you're saying, they haven't really impressed me um, much at all this year. And so, yeah, um, I know, you know, Dave Spillett at Pokey has given us some crap for, you know, not believing in the Thunder. But you know, after that performance last week, I'm, you know, kind of on board. And uh, they have to, you have to think that they're the state title favorites right now. Um, just the way they're playing. They look so much more physical so much more energized than any team that I've seen skyline. Their offense to me is very predictable. I mean, I I've done two games in a row now for skyline and I, I mean, I pretty much know what it's going to be either a bronze Silverio for a dive up the middle or a sweet play to Caden Taggart, or they're going to try to throw it. But Lachlan Hackey has been very inconsistent in, in yeah. the passing game and they've dropped a lot of passes. So you're going to be I, like uh, Tony Romo on the call, just calling out all their plays before they happen. <laughs> Right. So if I, as a broadcaster, I'm, I'm like at the lowest level of football <laughs> analysis. So if I'm seeing this, I can only imagine what the coaches <laughs> are, are seeing for Pocatello, right? Definitely. Yeah. They're, um, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I just I I I like Pocatello, and I actually like Pocatello pretty big. I, the Skyline fans don't want to hear that, but they are just too inconsistent. Pocatello sure. has really been consistently, I think, yeah. the best team in the four A playoffs so far. So, Definitely, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move to the three A ranks quickly. Whoa. We'll talk talk okay. about. Did you oh, guys Blackfoot on the other podcast? Uh, yeah. We, let's let's uh let's throw in uh, Blackfoot real quick too. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was a pretty um, impressive win over Nampa, you know, having to play over in the Poise area. And this is a Blackfoot team that kind of came into the season with little expectations, maybe make the, the playoffs, I think, was their big goal. And they've just had an incredible run through the, the state playoffs. And now, you know, they've got to travel to Sandpoint, but this is not a Sandpoint team that has really blown anyone out or had much of, a, you know, really shown much. Uh, they almost lost to Shelly. Um, a Shelly team that really, I mean, hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. And so, yeah, I, I think this, I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds like I, I think Blackfoot's going to be in the state title game. Um, could be crazy the way I see it. It's going to be all, you know, East Idaho, Blackfoot, Pocatello. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. What about you? Yeah. So I like, I like Sandpoint. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just felt like that game was too close last week. So Shelly, I think Shelly kind of came into the game with Sandpoint with the same game plan that Bonneville had against Pocatello back in the yeah. first round where we're going to run the ball, control the clock, limit possessions, and yeah. see if we can make some plays. And yeah. they they did early and got out to a lead, but that in the second half, Sandpoint just kind of wore them down. Sandpoint, sure. I've said all year, is is still kind of, in my eyes, the best team. To me, they're the most complete team. Mm-hmm. They their schedule is hard to gauge because they play up North. They did beat three of the four five, a teams up North, right? They beat Lake city post falls and Lewiston. And they only lost to Coeur d'Alene on a last second field goal. So Sandpoint to me has a really good defense and a really good running game with Garrett Cox. I think Blackfoot's going to be in trouble with that. The game against Nampa for Blackfoot, people are going to look at 28 to 14 and see that, oh, yeah, it was kind of close. But Nampa did all their scoring very late in the game. Blackfoot pretty much controlled this one from start to finish. Blackfoot, talent-wise, matches up with anybody. But the question is, is the consistency there? I don't know. Sure, and and you've got a great running game with Austin Ramirez. You've got you know one of the better uh, receivers in the entire state and Javante King. You've got, you know... Um, Jackson Grimmett at, at quarterback and a, a really good defense that is big. So um, I would not be surprised. I should say, you know, you're, you're talking up standpoint. I haven't watched him play just kind of going by the scores and, you know, knowing what Shelly is and, and not being too impressed by that result. Uh, I think Blackfoot has a shot. Um, really cool to see what, you know, Jared Ackley has been able to do with that program in the last couple of years, kind of taking it, um, you know, over and really enhancing their expectations very quickly. So that's been awesome to see. Yeah. He had to replace the coaching legend at Blackfoot. Yeah. Stan Buck. So yeah, for sure. So, okay. I like, I like Sandpoint and Pocatello. You like Blackfoot and Pocatello either way. I mean, for, for Pokey fans, of course they got to get past skyline, but they, they would also want to cheer for Blackfoot because that game would be a Holt. but if, okay. So if it's Blackfoot Pokey, the games that Holt, if it's Mm -hmm. black or if it's Pocatello Sandpoint, where's that game? It's at the Kibbe dome in Moscow. Ooh. It's a long trip. <laughs> so yeah. not fun. Yeah. So they would they would want to cheer for Blackfoot there. Okay. 3A bracket. Real quick, let's talk about Marsh Valley. They played Sugar Salem last Thursday, which seems like two years ago at this point. Right. Yeah. 
uh, 22 to 16, the diggers won. Um, but Marsh Valley really controlled the, the game in the, in the first half. And I was very impressed by Marsh Valley in this game. I, th- I thought they were just a play or two away from, from coming away with the win. A Cu- couple of turnovers ended up costing them. And that was it. I mean, Marsh Valley was the better team on Thursday. I don't think really anyone in the building would disagree with that. The only thing is they just had, you know, costly turnovers. They had a, uh, a punt that goes over the punter's head. They had another punt that, uh, you know, kind of ricocheted off his his foot bad. It went for like 10 yards. All of a sudden, uh, Sugar Salem's in scoring position. They had another one um, that started all this that, you know, it was a fake punt from like the uh, really their 30-yard line. And it was like fourth and seven. And, you know, he, he thought he had a lane. And really, I mean, I kind of thought he got it. It was really close. The refs called him about an inch short. All of a sudden, Sugar Salem takes over. They score on all three of those possessions, all punting-related things. And, you know, Sugar Salem just kind of um, just capitalized on Marsh Valley mistakes. I mean, that's all it was. Marsh Valley was a better team. They ran the ball better. Their defense was more effective. But, you know, when you have special team miscues like that and give the your opponents the ball three times within the 30-yard line, they're just going to convert. And that's all that happened. Um, I think Marsh Valley had a really good season. Their seniors, uh, I thought, are some of the better in 3A and, and Michael Belknap at running back and linebacker, Peyton Howitt, receiver and quarterback. Those are two of the you know the best athletes in the classification, and it kind of just stinks the way it ended for them. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, Hunter Hunter Roche, um, this was the first time I'd seen Marsh Valley play this year. So you tell you tell me if I'm wrong, because you've seen them more than I sure. have. Uh, it looked like his his ankle was pretty heavily taped up. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't run much. He was pretty much confined to the pocket. And I feel like there's been games this year where he's been dynamic as a runner and that element was missing. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think he had some some leg injury or something in one of their last um, regular season games. But yeah, no, I remember there was a game against uh, or actually the game against uh, Snake River. It was raining. It was muddy. I think he busted out like a 61 yard, you know, touchdown run to open the second half and so yeah he is a dynamic runner he did have to stay in the pocket a lot more and you know that can uh, marsh valley has really good receivers that are able to get open but yeah sometimes when you're leading like that in the second half and your quarterback can't run all of a sudden the clock's not running as much and you're kind of in some tough down distances if you have incomplete passes yeah i mean because i think there were opportunities where if he had been 100 percent, he he would have run yeah. Um, and, and instead decided to, well, I'll hang in the pocket and see what I can do downfield. So, sure. uh, speaking of snake river, uh, they played as well, right? They traveled to Weezer. That was a great article that you wrote about, uh, Jim oh, Harrison. Yeah. The, the coach at snake river and his father, Tom Harrison, uh, the coach at Weezer, the field in, in snake river is actually named after Tom Harrison. Yes. Um, and this was, you know, 21 to nothing against a Weezer team that pretty much beats everybody by 40. I thought this was a great result for snake river, even though they didn't win. I did too. And I think it gives them a lot of um, kind of hope going forward. I know they're going to lose Cole Gilbert, who is kind of their, their rocket quarterback just made so many plays with his legs and with his arm. And then also um, a threat at defensive back to come up with an interception. But yeah, Weezer was a tough team to gauge because you look at their schedule, they're blowing out all these teams they didn't have a really hard schedule at all. Uh, had one of the weakest actually in the classification. So it was tough to tell. Um, then on the flip side, snake river had one of the toughest schedules really in all three. Actually, I was going back and looking at it. The toughest schedule by far 
was Marsh Valley yeah. in 3A. Second toughest was Sugar Salem. And I think right around there was uh, Snake River. So they had a tough year. And I think um, not how they wanted to end, but man, they've got some, some really good players. Um, yeah. Kind of, I guess, predictable if you're just going by record, but not necessarily based on, you know, strength of schedule. Yeah. I mean, it was tough for Snake River. They kicked off and, and Brock Spencer returned to the opening kickoff for a touchdown for Weezer. And that kind of g- gave them that shot, shot in the arm that they needed. And, kind of got snake river down a little bit um yeah, so it's yeah. always tough when you give up a touchdown on the opening kickoff of the game but especially yeah in the playoffs when you're you know four or five hours away and it's cold yes Not for sure far. yep two a ranks hey we've got an all all district five semifinal west side host in bear lake friday night in dayton i'll be there on the call for that game jordan it's going to be a great time Let, let's start with uh west side okay they played grangeville on saturday uh they win 58 to 8 grangeville was just overmatched yeah. and for west side that's now 30 wins in a row that's unreal and the crazy part too is like you talk with tyson moser read quotes about him the west side coach he, he does not like that winning streak like he was hoping that they lost in the season to learn something, to go into the playoffs with some, you know, not feeling like they're invincible. And now, it, you know, he got to the playoffs and was like, well, now we can't lose. So, you know, we got to kind of just roll with it. And this is, it's so interesting. Yeah. Cause Westside is not, uh, not a team that wants to be undefeated or wants to have this great winning streak, but man, they're just so much better. They, they have just great running backs in Parker Henderson and Cade Brokens. They have a quarterback in Blaze Brown who understands that offense so well and can kind of beat you with his legs a little bit. Then you've got probably the best athlete in 2A in Bryler Shirtliff. Uh, just, I mean, they're just so talented at every position that it just doesn't seem like anyone's going to be able to beat them. Yeah, so I, I, was, I did the Grangeville game on Saturday. Literally, they kicked off to Grangeville to start. Second play for Grangeville, they throw an interception to Easton Henderson. Very next play offensively for Westside. Blaze Brown goes up top to Bryler Shirtliff for a touchdown, and it was it, the route was on from there. Cage Brokens only carried the ball three times, and he still ran for like 70 yards in a touchdown. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what you say about Westside. It's, they just get on you so fast that you're, you almost feel – opposing teams feel hopeless by like the end of the first quarter. I've, I've said, you know, if I if I am playing Westside and I win the toss, I am receiving. I know that's counterintuitive to which to what most coaches want to do, but I don't want to get down to Westside early because it is so hard to come back on them. They they had five interceptions on defense um, from five different players: uh, Christian Plancarte, Cage Brokens had an interception, uh, Owen Nielsen, Easton Henderson, and then a freshman came in at the very end, uh, Crusade, and he grabbed an interception as well. It they was just, a deep. Oh, they ahead. just beat quarterbacks into bad decisions I mean, all the time. It's one of those things. Interceptions are like, oh, you know, they got lucky, got pressure, but I mean, this happens every game. And I think sometimes it's because opposing teams are down that they have to start. They feel like they have to throw the ball more um, just to to kind of cut that lead. And that's exactly what Westside wants because they have the athletes that are just going to go get interceptions every time. Yeah. And uh, for Westside uh, at the end of the game, you know, all the freshmen. So, so at the end of the year, all the kids that have been playing freshman ball all season, they get to be on the sideline for the varsity games. They all got in um, by the end of the game. They basically had two offensive linemen, uh, you know, 
or no, oh, sorry, that was Grangeville. Grangeville had two offensive linemen in the backfield as they were trying to score. But for West Side, um, something I've really come to enjoy because I've done you know three or four of their games this year now is at the end of the game when Bradley Shirtliff has checked out, you know, midway through the third quarter, he'll yeah. put on the coach's headset and he's talking to the coaches up in the box. So, really? Yeah. So Bryler Shirtliff, you know, if it's a big blowout and he knows he's not going back in, he'll he'll put on that coach's headset and and be communicating with the coaches. So that's I always awesome. enjoy seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. So West Side moving on, no surprise. Bear Lake, you know, they continue to just grind out these wins. 14 to 6 over Nampa Christian on Friday night, following a 14 to 3 win over Coal Valley Christian uh in the opening round. And you look at this Bear Lake team and they don't impress you, but at the at the same time, their defense has been really impressive all season. Their defense has been impressive, and so has their resume. Yeah. I mean, this is a Bear Lake team that I've kind of been high on all year just because I think that they've had one of the harder schedules in all of 2A. I mean, they've only got three losses to you know two teams that are you know, in the semifinals right now, and then another that's basically a 4A team in Wyoming. We've said this a million times, but it's like every week you seem to – everyone's like, oh, Bear Lake, this is going to be the week they fall. And it's like, well, they're pretty dang good. I mean, they beat all these teams that they're supposed to beat. And Nampa Christian's a tough, tough game. Um, they're playing at Nampa Christian. And Bear Lake is still able to kind of, you know, will this one out. They win by, what was it, 14 to 6, 14 to 7, and just able to kind of grind you down make enough plays offensively and trust that their defense is going to come up with stops. I, I'm really impressed with Bear Lake. Um, that being said, I think Westside is far more talented, has far more experience and has already shown this season that they're going to, you know, can beat Bear Lake. Um, I think Westside advances, but I mean, I don't think Bear Lake is just going to, you know, fall over. I think it's going to be kind of a little more of a game than I think most people think. Yeah, so Bear Lake as the four seed hasn't had to travel yet, right? They got to host Coal Valley. They got to host yeah. Nampa Christian. And now they're only traveling to Dayton, which is not whatever. super far from Montpelier. Two two games in a row, they've allowed their opponent to score first. Coal Valley led 3 nothing. You know, midway through the second quarter of that first round game, Bear Lake got a touchdown right before halftime and then scored late in the fourth quarter. So it was like a seven to three game almost the whole way. And then, and then Bear Lake scored at the very end, kind of the same thing last week where Nampa Christian scored the first touchdown to go up six, nothing. And then Bear Lake needed to, to match that score. And, um, they were trailing six nothing, and and Bear Lake put together a drive right before halftime. Taysen Neal threw a touchdown pass to Brady Shaw. They got the two point conversion, and Bear Lake led eight to six. And again, that was the score until like you know into the fourth quarter, and then Bear Lake scored again on another yeah. touchdown pass from uh, Taysen Neal to Bryson Crane. Bryson Crane has impressed me. I've watched him on film a little bit. He's a good good receiver for Bear Lake, but they've kind of followed the same game script two weeks in a row and we've talked about how dangerous it is to allow West side to score first. Right. Yeah, no. And that's, that's kind of the other thing is coming into this year, no one was really sure what to make of Bear Lake because last season, their entire offense was predicated on having this strong arm quarterback in Owen Tusher who could just throw the ball a mile. And it seemed a little up in the air of like, can you replicate that with a different guy? 
a lot of props to Ryan Messerly for you know, making that work and props to Taysom Neal for, you know, being able to assume that position and really just show how capable he is. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun to watch them and, uh, Tyson Moser, I saw a quote in one of the papers. Uh, he basically said the coach for Westside, he said, you know, I'd almost rather not play bear Lake. I'd rather play somebody that we haven't seen all year because yeah. I don't know when you have these conference rematches, weird things happen sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. A team that knows exactly what, cause that's what happens in these, you know, um, these playoff games is Westside just punches their opponents in the mouth. I mean, you, you see it on film, but you don't exactly know what to expect. And then all of a sudden, like you're saying, it's 14, nothing. And everyone you've lost already. And so that's probably not going to happen to bear Lake. They're not going to be shocked by West side. And I think that at least um, goes in their favor a little. Yeah, certainly. And how about just a quick shout out? It's an all East Idaho final four, right? North Fremont and Firth in the yeah. other semifinal. Firth so. won on like basically a hail Mary. Uh, I yeah. was just writing my story in Holt arena and all of a sudden look up and Firth, who most people have said it was the second best team in uh, 2A all year. I know North Fremont beat them late. But, yeah, all of a sudden they're down to this, uh, you know, Declo team that hadn't been very high all year. And it's fourth and 19. All of a sudden this fourth receiver gets, like, the most open I've ever seen anyone on a fourth and 19 get, and they score. It's like, what the heck happened? It was crazy to, to watch at, like, 11. I mean, you were there. Yeah, it was, like, 11 p.m. or whatever. Yeah, uh, it was crazy. It was just a blown coverage by Declo, uh, basically for Firth, right? It was, uh, they had no timeouts left. It was inside a minute to play, third down and 10 from the 11-yard line of Declo. Gage Vasquez gets sacked all the way back to the 20. Clock's rolling. It's fourth down. They can't spike it. They can't call a timeout. It's fourth and 19 from the 20-yard line. They basically just have to line up and do a scramble drill, and Burton Park left all alone in the corner of the end zone. I don't know what happened there, but congrats to Firth moving on and, and all East Idaho final four, a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. One uh, AD one ranks. No. Uh, we, we Butte County, you know, district six, they're into the semifinals. One uh, AD twos, nothing to report on there because Rockland wow. was the lone remaining team from district five. They had to travel to castle Ford. And they fell fifty-eight to eight in a, in a tough game outdoors. No, I, I don't think yeah anyone expected Rockland to win. Castleford's been too good, but um, look out for the Bulldogs the next couple of years. They have talented pieces who are all very young: Teague Matthews, Weth Matthews, um, Gavin Permit. I mean, these are young guys, sophomores and juniors, who are only going to get better as time goes on. So. Um, look out for Rockland the next couple of years. Tough way for their season to end, but you know they had a really good year and showed a ton of promise going forward. Yeah, what people kind of forget about Rockland is uh, I think it's Br- Brigham Perman, right? Their running back, their best. He he suffered an injury, you know, yes. in like the, yes. the first or second game of the year, and they they had to kind of adjust their offense on the fly yeah. because of that. And so you figure he's coming back next year, and they just need to get some linemen. They can get some linemen. I think that will really take them to the next level. They've got a really good freshman that played this year, David Nelson. Yeah. And they bulk him up a little bit more. I think Rockland will be right back in the mix for sure. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's the semifinal previews. Uh, Jordan, either way, you know, I think we're going to have some stuff to talk about next week. Yeah. Um, championship uh, weekend for football. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think uh, there's a pretty good guarantee. Oh, there is a guarantee that, you know, at least one, possibly like three 
uh, District 4 teams or District 5 teams could make it. Heck, I guess there's possibly, what, five? One, two, three, four? Four. Could so four we were, possibly make it one for sure? We were kind of talking, uh, my boss, uh, Paul Kingsbury, and I we were kind of trying to speculate on matchups and where they would be played for the championship and, and stuff like that. So basically, if it is a team from the East versus a team from the East, they play that game typically in Holt Arena or last year, Madison High School. Yeah. So you're looking at, you could potentially have Highland versus Rigby, Pocatello versus Blackfoot. Blackfoot. Uh, at the 3A level, the teams from the Central or, or, or teams from the Central are considered uh, East, quote-unquote, because there's only East, West, and North. Yeah. So, you're, so you're talking about an all-East final for 2A, no matter what happens. So that's three of four classifications. And then at the 1A level, you could have Raft River and Oakley, two East teams. Yeah. And at the six-man level, you could have Cary and Castle Ford or Dietrich and Castle Ford, and that's two more East teams. You, I mean, you're talking about five of the six championships possibly happening in East Idaho at Holt Arena or Madison. How crazy is that? That's a pretty good showing for, for East Idaho. Uh, I, I think a lot of times uh, the Eastern teams can get overlooked a little bit, especially at the top classifications. Uh, pretty cool that that's not the case this year. There is a world that exists outside of Boise, and there's a lot of good teams outside that, for sure. Well, don't tell them that. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jordan, what do you got uh, coming up at the Idaho State Journal? What are you working on this week? I uh, did a story yesterday that ran in today's paper on uh, kind of Idaho State men's basketball. And, you know, the offense Ryan Looney runs, it's only the only other school in the entire country that runs it is Wisconsin. So talk to some people from Wisconsin and kind of Ryan Looney, how he came up with this thing. I thought it was pretty interesting to take a look at it. Um, you know, I think they play Pepperdine. That's a bye game on Friday. Pepperdine has not been good. I know they'll return some people, but um, Idaho State, you know, has a chance in that game. Um, Idaho State football plays on Saturday against Cal Poly. Kind of a winnable game in a season that hasn't had much good news. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, Highland on Friday. We've got a stringer there. West Side game, someone from a sister paper will be out there. And then obviously we're going to be at Pocatello on uh, Saturday for that one. So um, a lot coming up in the paper, trying to find spots for, you know, all these, you know, possible bursts in state, state title games. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the Idaho State men's basketball team, they've got a couple of uh, former District 5 guys in the starting lineup, right? Smaley yeah. from Preston and uh, is it Daxton Carr? Daxton Carr, yeah. From uh, who went to Highland and then uh, uh, Braden Parker, Preston, Austin Smaley, Preston. Yeah. Daxon Carr from Highland. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to see the local guys uh, performing on the big stage at ISU. So yeah. All, all right, Jordan, I'll see you in Holt arena Saturday night for yes. that Pocatello skyline showdown. If you want to see IdahoSports.com, we'll be broadcasting every single semifinal game across the state this week. If you want to see the broadcast schedule, just click on the game streams tab on the homepage of IdahoSports.com. All right. We've gone super long here, but there was so much good stuff to talk about because yes. all these teams from East Idaho are continuing to fight and stay alive. So it's all right. If we run a little long. Perfect. I'm, I'm okay with it. Yep, for sure. All right. Thanks for tuning into the Southeast Idaho Prepcast for Jordan K. I'm Brandon Bainey. We'll see you next time on IdahoSports.